Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. Today we're going to look back on some of the things that happened last year in the world of music business and music production. If you haven't heard about some of these, I'm not surprised, since I forgot about many of them myself, even though I talked or wrote about them during the year. So let's get started. Here's something that just happened last week. Songwriters are actually getting their first raise since 2006. The Copyright Royalty Board decided to give songwriters a raise from 9.1 cents to 12 cents. Now, this is for physical product, like a CD or a vinyl record, meaning that every song that you have on this CD or vinyl record, you're going to make 12 cents. That means that you can really make a lot of money. So if you have 10 songs on a CD, you're going to make $1.20. This is why songwriters really got rich in the past, because if you sold a million, well, add it up. Even at 9.1 cents, it turned out to be a lot of money. And when physical sales dried up and most of the music consumption went to streaming, their income went down a lot, which is why you heard a lot of complaining that, oh, things aren't the way they used to be. Yes, of course they're not, because the medium that you get paid on has changed. That being said, songwriters now have gotten a substantial raise as long as it's on physical. Speaking of raises, during the last year, songwriters on streams have also gotten a raise, although it's not quite as much as on physical product. Songwriters went from getting 15.1% of the total revenue that a streamer takes in to 15.35%, and this is over five years that it's going to go up. So it doesn't sound like a lot, and it really isn't all that much, but in fact, it is a win, if nothing else, a small one. Songwriters still make about a fifth of what an artist makes on a stream, and of course, they've been battling for more. The big problem is that streamers don't make a lot of money to begin with, so there's not a lot of money to really make an increase to anybody. Just about every streamer is losing money. So there's very few places that you can actually get money from a streamer. And just the fact that there's some concessions that were made here, I think, is a victory. But major labels have been pressuring streaming services to lower their royalty rates for indies, especially those that are doing it themselves. Major labels have been claiming that what they're providing is a premium song, meaning that, of course, it's going to be a better quality since it's coming from the major label. Now, this may be true and it may not be true, but this is what the labels are saying. So far, the streaming services have not caved, but what's going to happen when the next licensing agreements come around? Well, we might see a different structure on streaming royalties. During the last year, TikTok rolled out 10-minute clips. Now, these are up from five minutes and, of course, up from the original 30 seconds. There's a reason for this, and actually there's basically a strategic reason for everything that either YouTube does or TikTok does because they're in a battle. TikTok is trying to get more market share from YouTubers and basically saying, look, we know that if you're a creator, you like to have longer videos, so here you go. That being said, the average viral TikTok song is only 19.5 seconds, and the average TikTok video is about eight seconds. So this is less than the attention of a goldfish. What's interesting here is the fact that songs are getting shorter and shorter. And you might find that 
they're just coming down to hooks because that's generally what a viral video is on TikTok when it comes to music. It's the hook of the song. So we might find songwriters just writing hooks and that's it. We haven't gotten to that point yet, but it's getting closer. The influence of TikTok is actually waning, at least in the music business, a little bit. One of the things that major labels and promoters like to think is that they can control a certain medium. And TikTok was something that they thought they could control and get a hit from. And that's less and less likely to happen because the algorithm that's picking the video has nothing to do with if the major label or a label is advertising or not. But there's something that's actually making them think twice about TikTok anyway. It used to be that if you had a hit, a music hit on TikTok, you would make a lot of money from it because creators, songwriters don't make that much money on TikTok. They make even less than from YouTube. But what would end up happening is that all of a sudden Spotify streams would explode. So you would find that the streaming services were actually paying you a lot more money because of that viral hit. But that's actually waning here. So now we're finding in the last quarter or so that a viral music hit on TikTok isn't actually getting you as much money as it used to because it's not triggering the streams on the major streaming services. So this may mean that the age of TikTok, at least for music, might be getting to wane a little bit. Speaking of waning, playlists used to be the big thing. If you could get on a major playlist on Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music, Deezer, then guess what? You could probably really up your streams by a lot. As a matter of fact, you may even have a hit, and we've seen in the past how some hits have become that way only because of their placement on a particular Spotify playlist. That being said, that's not happening anymore. And one of the reasons why is that major labels are controlling 70 to 87% of the major playlists. Now, this is thanks to the many promotions that Spotify has, especially where they're actually paying to get their artists on the playlist. But what that means is there's less space for indie artists. And as a result, and what we find is that they're actually just calling up on demand the songs they want to hear. Users are also finding the playlists are great for background music, but when they really want to get into it and listen to things they want, they're going to manually call that song up. This was a year for very interesting scams, and speaking of playlists, there is one about playlist hijacking that was pretty interesting. So what would happen is when people make a playlist, you can either put it in private mode or you can put it in collaborative mode. In collaborative mode, it means that other people can add to the playlist. And that's what would happen. We would find artists and labels and scammers that would just go look for these open playlists and then would add all of their songs. So you'd go to play your playlist and all of a sudden there'd be all this music on there that you never put there. You don't even know what it is. The only way around this is to stop having an open collaborative playlist. So that's a scam that's happening, but it's not necessarily one that Spotify or any other streaming service can do much about. But there are some other scams that happen. One is fake collaborations. So what will happen is you'll take a song and then you'll upload it and say there's a featured artist on it. And it might be Drake or it might be Ed Sheeran, even though they have nothing to do with it. 
what you'll find that people will be searching and they'll see, oh, it's Sheeran, and they'll go to that particular song and then discover that, well, my favorite artist has nothing to do with it. Spotify is clamping down on that. There's another one with fake collaborations where what would happen is people would upload a hit song and put different writers on it. So that would mean that they would actually make some money on the back end and they might put Ed Sheeran featuring Joe Blow and then Joe Blow would make some money off of it. But that didn't last all that long and Spotify finally did something about it and that scam went away. The last thing that Spotify needs is any more scams and any more unauthorized music because there's plenty of authorized music already going up. This year we hit the 100,000 uploads a day just on Spotify. So there are 100,000 uploads that are happening every single day on that platform. This has caused Spotify to rethink their terms of service. This hasn't changed yet, but it might. What they're considering is they're going to become more selective. So when looking back, they find that 80% of Spotify artists have fewer than 50 monthly listeners. What they may end up doing is charging. If you don't get X amount of listeners, X amount of streams per month, then they're going to charge you for actually keeping that song in their library or else they're going to take it down. So this may be something coming in the future. It's something that they're considering right now because there's only so much storage space. Yes, storage space is cheap, but the fact of the matter is Spotify, who's not making any profits, has shareholders that are saying, when are you going to return some money? And by looking at this more closely, this might be a way they can cut costs. And speaking of lots of uploads every day, last year we hit the 1 trillion song streams just in the United States. There were 1 trillion streams last year in the U.S. alone. Sounds like a lot, but the fact of the matter is, it only went up a little bit, went up about 8% from the year before. So what that is an indicator of is, wow, that sure are a lot of streams, but what's happening is it's sort of flattening out. We're hitting the mature stage of the music streaming business. There were some success stories though. Classical music was up 90% on YouTube and classical music downloads were up 64%. Classical music suffers badly from streaming. And the reason why is you can have a piece that's 15 minutes long and it gets paid the same amount as one that's only two minutes long. So there's no advantage to having a long stream. And what ends up happening is you find that there are certain streaming services that are reluctant to have classical music because it takes up a lot of space and it's not making them or the artist a lot of money. But YouTube is a different story. And what classical orchestras, classical musicians are finding that it's a really good platform where they can make some money because it's advertising driven and there are people that want to consume it. So good deal. It's up 90%. Speaking of YouTube, there was also a scam there last year. An online service called Yout let users bypass YouTube so you can download videos. The RIAA demanded that Google delist them from the search engine, and that's what happened. So Yout actually came back and sued, and they lost. But just imagine, this is kind of the same thing as someone breaking into your house and then suing you because you called the cops. Most people don't want to download videos. They don't want to own them. It's easy enough when you can get them for free. So I don't see that the service had long legs anyway, but it's kind of interesting to see what happened. 
YouTube is also experimenting with long ad pods where you might have to watch as many as 10 unskippable short videos in a row. Now they might only be five seconds, but nonetheless, you can't skip them. This is only an experiment right now. Hasn't been decided if it's gonna be rolled out to everyone. I think everybody would hate this. So we can all cross our fingers that YouTube doesn't think this is a good idea and implement it. The other thing that was interesting is after a study, YouTube found that most people watch YouTube videos at a higher rate of speed. Most of them watch at 1.5x. So everybody watches videos faster. We just don't like to admit it. YouTube found out in their data that just about everybody does it anyway. We often look at major labels as an evil force out there that the only thing they want to do is rob artists and songwriters of their royalties. They certainly deserve the reputation because through the years it's sort of happened, but sometimes they do do the right thing. Both Warner Brothers and Universal Music wiped out unrecouped royalties for legacy artists this year. Sony started the trend last year, but no one actually expected the other two labels to jump in. This applies to artists that were signed before the year 2000 who haven't received an advance since. Now, the reason for this is you have artists, especially legacy artists, that were seeing a lot of streams and not making any money from it. So now they can actually make money from streaming, even though it might not be as much as a major pop artist, but they can see some revenue because it's not going to recoup advances that were maybe 30 years old. So good deal, major labels did the right thing. Epic Games acquired Bandcamp last year. And you might think this is kind of an odd combination. Of course, Bandcamp is a place for artists and musicians to showcase their music, to have an online presence. So what does that have to do with games? Well, Epic Games is actually building their own version of the metaverse. No connection to the Facebook one, the meta one. And what they see with Bandcamp is they already have everything in place to go direct to fans and sell things to fans and to have a more one-on-one -on -one interaction with fans. So behind the scenes, it actually has better synergy than you might think. The one ominous thing here is that Epic is 40% owned by Tencent, the giant Chinese music company. Ticketmaster is in a lot of trouble this year. A couple of different things happened. The first thing is Taylor Swift. When she announced her latest tour, the announcement went out to her fan club. And if you weren't part of her fan club, the only way that you could get tickets was to register. But what happened on Ticketmaster's site is there is so much traffic that came from unregistered users and from bots that it basically shut the whole thing down. So as a result, there were a number of lawsuits that came from users that couldn't get tickets against Ticketmaster. And what they were charging is that there was a monopoly and they're beseeching antitrust laws. It would be really ironic if an antitrust lawsuit was actually won by a fan and not by someone in the music business. Both the Senate and the Department of Justice are actually investigating this. So what ended up happening? Well, they decided that they're going to use fan club technology that was originally created by the Dave Matthews people to sell the remaining tickets. And it looks like that's going to happen without so much of a glitch. Ticketmaster also ran into a really bad problem with fake tickets in Mexico for Bad Bunny. And as a result, the Mexican government fined Ticketmaster quite a lot of money. So Ticketmaster's on the defensive this year. 
One thing to think about is every time that you pay those convenience fees that everybody hates, fact of the matter is that doesn't go to Ticketmaster. That goes to the artist. So it's the artist that signed off on it and not Ticketmaster. Speaking of those fees, New York State passed a law that you have to disclose all the charges on tickets up front. So in other words, you can't buy a ticket at face value and then all of a sudden have $50 worth of charges that you didn't expect. In New York State, this has to be disclosed in advance. It also outlaws the resale of free tickets and it forbids delivery fees on electronic tickets, something that everybody hates. So we can only hope that every other state adopts this as well. The sale of music NFTs were way down this year, although there was a little bit of a rise in November. It wasn't only the number of NFTs, it was the dollar value as well that really took a big hit. One of the big problems is that fans that bought an NFT would think that they were going to get royalties or they would think that they would be a part owner when many times the only thing they got was the ability to go see this NFT, to look at it and maybe not even get any money on a resale market. So there's lots of legal issues involved. They're not looking very good for music NFTs right now. That said, Spotify now lets artists promote NFTs. Let's see what happens in the new year to see if that continues. The major labels surprisingly spent a lot of money on Web3 deals this last year. There's a lot of venture money pouring into that space, but the ironic thing is Web3 is all about decentralization and transparency and artist control, which is pretty contrary to what the major labels stand for. Major labels are hedging their bets though, and they're buying Web3 real estate. The crypto meltdown also does not help Web3 because everybody was assuming that they would buy things in the metaverse using crypto. And now a lot of people have lost confidence if they haven't lost money. So there'll be no way to pay for anything in Web3. That might be a problem. This was the year of the AI artists. There's AI everywhere. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit. The AI rapper FN Mika had 9 million followers and a billion views on TikTok. So Capital signed him, even though it was artificial. A few days after he was signed, a graphic that was designed by AI came out and really upset a lot of people. So much so that the black industry professionals had a big protest. And as a result, Capital dropped them after about a week. Thing about it is the deal was only for distribution and there was no advance. So there's no money exchanging hands in this, but it was enough of a backlash. It scared the other major labels from signing an AI artist, at least for now. You probably read a lot about major artists selling their catalogs for huge amounts of money. I think the only one that never went through was Pink Floyd, and that was because they're asking too much. They're probably not going to get anywhere close to it now because since the recession has hit, since interest rates have really gone up high, the whole idea of selling your catalog or someone purchasing your catalog for a lot of money, that's pretty much gone away. So we've seen that area slow down a lot in 2022. One thing that didn't slow down was vinyl. Vinyl was up 22% just in the first half of the year alone, and it made about $570 million. That accounts for about 10% of the overall revenue that labels bring in. Streaming still accounts for 84%, though. And what's scary here is the average revenue 
per user fell just a little bit, but it did fall. And it's telling us, as I said before, that streaming is slowing a little bit. And that's going to change the thinking in label boardrooms everywhere. One thing we found out this year is vinyl buyers are not boomers like everybody thought. In fact, they're newbies that have just started purchasing in the last five years or so. Not only do they listen to the vinyl, some just want to display the vinyl. And this is something that we knew way back when, when vinyl was the only thing we could buy. Many of us bought a record because we liked the cover, and that's happening again. So packaging is a big factor, but so is artist support. The thing that's selling most are current releases by new artists. So it's not legacy artists, although there are some that are selling really well. But again, it's newer artists that are selling the most. Ireland took a big step this year by paying artists and musicians a basic income. This has been the dream of artists and musicians everywhere. If only I didn't have to worry about money so I could work on my art all day. Well, guess what? At least in Ireland, now you can. Problem is there are 9,000 artists and musicians in the country and there's only enough to fund 2,000 of them. That being said, they're going to get $330 per week for the next three years. One of the big things that we've seen change in the last year is that social media has become less social and more entertainment. People are actually going on there, not so much to interact, but to be entertained. This is actually good news for artists because we started to see them burn out on social media and getting really tired of social posting. We've seen pushback from Halsey and Charlie Puth, Charlie XCS, even Ed Sheeran. Many artists are pulling the plug because it's just too much work. But the fact of the matter is, if we're looking more there for entertainment than interaction, that may change the equation a little bit. Finally, artists are finding touring to be too expensive. And there's a lot of reasons. One is the general costs are a lot more. Hotel rooms, gas, restaurant food just costs a lot more than it ever did, while the price for gig isn't really going up all that much. If you're on a higher level, well, you can't find crews or trucks. They're all out. One of the things that happened during COVID was a lot of the road crew just decided to retire or find something else to do, and they're not coming back. So there's a distinct shortage of road crew out there. If you're in the UK, everything is way more expensive because of Brexit. Something that we didn't see during COVID because Brexit was fairly new, but now that that's over, we're seeing the results of it and it's not pretty. So these are just some of the things that happened during 2022 in the music business side of the business. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Mixing Engineer's Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on mixing and immersive audio, self-mastering, new mixer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted price at bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. That's bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. And remember, you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. Okay, let's talk about music production now and the things that happened in 2022. 
The beginning of the year saw a lot of enthusiasm for Atmos. We saw more and more studios that were converting from stereo to Atmos. And in general, there was just a lot of buzz about it. But by December, that's died down a whole lot. Enthusiasm is definitely declining. One of the things that happened was all these studios that rushed to build a new Atmos room found that there wasn't actually all that much work. Major labels were sending out their catalog to be remixed, but in fact, they were just looking for cheap work. So if you had a big studio that just did a $100,000 refit, you couldn't get the price that you actually needed to pay for that. The labels are paying four or $500 per mix. And these mixes are going out to people that you might not think are super highly qualified. They're not going to A-list mixers or B-list or even C-list mixers. They're going to people that are just entering the business because they're working for cheap. What happens on a lot of these, it has nothing to do with taking all the tracks. All you're getting is stems and you're remixing from there and there's not a whole lot that you can do with it. But you're going to stay a lot truer to the original stereo mix, which is what the labels want. Now, a threat to even those cheap remixes are some of the upmix plugins that are coming about. So all you have to do is put a song through it and you're going to get a pseudo Atmos mix, which for many labels, that's going to be enough. It turns out though that whenever you get some experience, especially the more experienced mixers, as they gain experience with Atmos, they find that they actually prefer stereo. And one of the reasons why is with a lot of music that we're used to, especially rock music, pop music, a lot of the glue that makes the songs work is lost in an immersive mix. So it's not nearly as compelling as the stereo version. All that being said, I've always believed that true immersive really won't happen until we have a new speaker technology where the whole room turns into a speaker. And then we can more easily make this technology work for us. But until then, in most cases, it's more a parlor trick than anything else. Like I said before, artificial intelligence, AI and machine learning is not taking over music, but it's really making inroads. There's a lot of AI music online and a lot of AI music generators. There's platforms like Refusion, SoundDraw, Boomi, Amper Music. Even Spotify is coming up with their own AI music generator. They're not the only ones. The giant Chinese music platform Tencent has created a thousand songs via AI, and one of them even has a hundred million streams. The Arabic language music platform Anghami has 200,000 AI-generated songs. Now, here's the problem. This all sounds well and good, but there's a lot of copyright issues. Who owns it? Is it the AI creator? Is it the trainer of the neural network? Is it the owner of the platform? Is it the AI itself? Is it the user? Are the songs public domain? So there's still a lot to be sorted out, and that's not going to happen soon. The problem here is the impact it might have on songwriters, especially new ones, where they'll say, well, why should I even bother when I can just go to this platform and have it done for me? Speaking of done for you, there's an AI-powered neural network that Holly Herndon has used to mimic her voice. So it's really her, and she's authorized it. It's just that it's an AI version of her singing. It's close, sounds okay, but... Just think about it from the standpoint that you don't have to worry about recording. You don't have to worry about the sound or the tuning. It's a virtual vocalist. 
We may see more of this in the future. There are now a lot of AI plugins and they're getting better and better. Isotope RX and Ozone, Baby Audio Tape, the Focusrite Fast Series, Sonable, Lander, the mastering platform, is getting better and better because of the millions of songs it's learned from. For beat making, there's Atlas and Playbeat. We're seeing more and more AI plugins coming up, which are making life easier and making some of the tasks that took an audio engineer or producer or songwriter a while to get the hang of, they're now being done for you. One thing that may be a big breakthrough is lossless Bluetooth audio. And that's the Bluetooth LE standard that came out this year. What it will allow you to do is actually hear CD quality audio on your wireless headphones or earbuds. Now the problem is that you can't use any headphones or earbuds. They have to be Bluetooth LE standard. Plus they also have to use the right codec in order to do it. Bluetooth LE actually stands for low energy and the whole idea behind that is they won't take up as much power so they'll last a lot longer, but the lossless audio is a nice byproduct. Speaking of tech, USB 4 is now here. This uses the same connector as Thunderbolt and USB-C. It has an option for a fast transfer speed of up to 40 gigabits per second, just like Thunderbolt. So now, as if there wasn't enough confusion between Thunderbolt 3 and Thunderbolt 4 and USB-C, now we have USB 4 in the mix as well. Because of COVID, NAM moved their annual January NAM Fest in Anaheim from January to June this year. There are about 70% fewer visitors than normal, and a lot of manufacturers didn't show. Gibson, Fender, Roland, Marshall, Universal Audio. Many European companies didn't show because in January, it's a nice holiday from them from the snow and from the cold. In June, not so much. There was no downstairs Hall E, which everybody loves. But everyone who attended loved it because there were fewer people to deal with. You don't have to worry about the crowd so much. It was a nice size. Next year, instead of January, it'll be in April. MI sales were huge during COVID, and manufacturers couldn't get enough product. As a result, they made a lot during 2021, and guess what? Things returned to normal in 2022, and there's a huge amount of inventory everywhere. So two things happen as a result. There's not as much new gear that come out this year because they're trying to sell off the stuff that they had in stock. This is not only manufacturers, but it's retailers as well. This has happened before, so we know that it takes about two years for everything to return to normal. The good thing is there was a pretty big influx of new players, and the new players are good for the industry, good for manufacturers, good for MI in general. One of the things we never thought would happen is Universal Audio unlinked their plugins from their platform. So now with UAD Spark, it's a subscription service. If you want to subscribe to the plugins, you can. If not, not a big deal. But now you're not tied into UAD hardware if you don't want to be. Slate Digital was acquired by Audiotronics this year. Audiotronics already owns SSL and CalRec and Allen and & Heath and Sound Devices and a few others. So this is becoming one of the giants in the professional audio industry, especially now with Slate Digital on board. One of the things we heard about a lot last year was the chip shortage. And this was big across all industries that use integrated circuits. One of the things that really made it bad was the fact that there was a huge fire at the AKM plant in Japan. And as a result, one of the major audio chip manufacturers just 
was no longer supplying anything. You haven't heard anything about audio chips or integrated circuits in general not being available as that whole thing has finally eased. And we're finding that audio chips like audio to digital converters, digital audio converters, they're now much more accessible and we're finding them in new products and cars as well. A big development was the fact that smart speaker sales are way, way down. It was only a few years ago where everyone thought this is going to be the next big thing, and it was for a little bit. But it turns out that people didn't use the capabilities as much as they could. Mostly what they're using it for is ask for music or the weather outside. This really hurt Amazon especially because they had a huge division. Their Alexa division was huge. And they always thought that voice was going to be their secret sauce in that people would then order things from Amazon through the voice assistant in a smart speaker. That didn't happen. Like I said, people were afraid of the voice assistant and they were afraid of the smart speaker because of privacy issues. So they either turned them off after they bought them or they didn't use them all that extensively. As a result... Amazon laid off 10,000 people from its Alexa division not that long ago. It turns out that Amazon was losing money on every smart speaker that it sold in the hopes that people would use it to buy more things off of Amazon, which we know didn't happen. And finally, one last thing that's sort of music-related, but is interesting nonetheless, there will be no more Elvis weddings in Las Vegas. Yes, people traveled to chapels in Las Vegas just to be married by a fake Elvis, that will no longer happen because the company that controls the name, likeness, and image of Elvis Presley has ordered all these operators to stop. So if there's a wedding with Elvis officiating in your plans, well, you have to plan something else. These are all the things that happened in 2022. We can only hope that 2023 will be just as interesting. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Remember that you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There, you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com or you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyowinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bye.